You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to Now Hear This. I'm your host, Chris Spangle. Now Hear This is a conversation with leaders in Indianapolis that are working to improve the lives of Hoosiers. Our goal is to empower you to join in their work and make a difference while informing you about the unseen aspects of life in Indiana. If you miss an episode, you can listen via podcast at nowhearthisindy.com. Today, I am talking to a much-needed organization here in Indianapolis. It is Packaway Hunger, and their website is packawayhunger.org. Today, we are speaking to Packaway Hunger, and their website is packawayhunger.org. It is a much-needed organization at this time, uh, dealing with COVID-19 and the pandemic and the economic fallout from it. And joining me to talk a little bit about that and their organization is Abigail Harlan, who is the executive director of Packaway Hunger, and Allison Abel who is their communications director. Thank you both so much for joining me. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Chris. Abigail, please tell us a little bit about Packaway Hunger. What is it and what do you do? My pleasure. We are a local organization based here in Indianapolis, but we do global work. Our mission is to eliminate hunger in Indiana and around the world through nutritious food, education, and service. Okay, and so... Allison, tell us a little bit about how the organization got started. When did it get started, and who do you serve mostly? What What is the community that you reach out to? So we were founded about 10 years ago, and really our community is is very diverse one that we serve. We are, as Abigail mentioned, we are dedicated to eliminating hunger both here in Indiana and around the world. And so the communities that we serve are both very local and then also um, international. And so historically we've had partnerships in countries like Haiti and Guatemala and Honduras, but we are really focused on um, getting their meals to where the need is greatest. And then also through the most trusted partners. Obviously we see the, the lines at food banks miles long of cars here in Texas or, you know, and we've talked to food banks locally and the need has what we've been told is essentially doubled. What are you hearing both in Indianapolis and in some of those other partner places? Abigail, what is the need like two months into the pandemic, three months into it? Can you give us a sense of the order of magnitude of increase in need? Yeah, it's still there. You know, I think that when this all started, you know, six weeks ago, maybe even eight now, it was everybody was very reactive and very responsive. Um, it was it was a bit chaotic. There are trusted partners in this community, like Gleaners and Midwest, who have been doing this forever, and they're the best at it. So a lot of people rallied around them, and they continue to do great work. But what I've seen are some of the smaller food pantries, the smaller organizations that are a little bit more grassroots, starting to fill this gap. Um, a lot of organizations have actually started to pivot even a little bit on their day-to-day operations and their mission to, to fill this need. So while they're still encompassing the, the work that they do as an organization, they're also making sure that tackling food insecurity is, is part of what they do. So what do you do differently, Abigail, than a Gleaners or maybe a local food bank? What differentiates you from them? Yeah, we're not a food bank. We... Uh, Provide, we pack and provide a super nutritionally dense rice, soy, dehydrated vegetable meal. So Allison was referring to some of our international partners. Um, historically, almost just over half of our meals 
do go to organizations abroad that are in, in health clinics or nutritional clinics, um, some community centers. Um, about 48% of those meals have stayed here locally in Indiana. That's starting to shift in the recent year or two as the need is increasing domestically. Um, so right now here in Indianapolis, just in response to COVID-19, we have just distributed uh, just over 193,000 meals, which is very atypical of what we would typically do. Um, our Bryce product also is really a great accompaniment to the cleaners in the Midwest um, you know, all encompassing kind of more holistic boxes of vegetables and proteins and, and some of the grocery items as well. Um, so we're making sure that our product is still with those partners that we've had for a long time, but also that it's, it's in these smaller food banks. Yeah, I go to Mount Pleasant Christian Church, and I I know that I participated in a Packaway Hunger event. It had to be you guys. Awesome. Was, yeah, that's incredible. Mount Pleasant's have been a wonderful partner of ours for years. You guys do a huge pack. I was there when we celebrated our two millionth meal, I believe. I think it was. Yeah, that was last year. Yeah, and, and I, those went to Cuba. Those meals went to Cuba. Yeah, and so it is. You know, the church gym was full of hundreds of people. I was slinging the TVP and and refilling all the the boxes. And so talk about your packing events and explain to people what goes into these things. And if they see a packing event, what are they going to do at it? Let's let's go to Allison. Let's give Allison a chance to jump in, the communications director for Packaway Hunger. Well, what we really love about our packing events are that they are completely inclusive and accessible. So um, one, the types of organizations that hold packing events, we work with businesses, we work with churches, community groups, and schools. So really an organization of any type can host a packing event. And as I mentioned, they're completely inclusive so that age-wise, anyone from, we say, you know, three to 103 can participate. And it's a really hands-on way to impact the life of someone else by creating this, um, this dehydrated meal that Abby mentioned. And so what you would experience is you're in this room, you're on a packing line with your friends or your colleagues, and you are, it's really an assembly line where we create this meal. So someone is pouring in rice and then soy and then adding the vitamins and all the way to the end of the line to where the meal is sealed and then packed into boxes. And at the end of this packing event, you have this great visual of hundreds of boxes and hundreds of thousands of meals sometimes that that you all have just created. And so I think it's really just it's a really powerful um, and fun way to serve other people. So do these become soups because it, it went into like a vacuum packed bag and, it, you know, you talked about the rice, the vegetables. Does it become like a soup, a super nutritious soup that you pass out? And then you know, how, how is it cooked and then how does it nourish people? And is it, is it, you said it was a supplement or in some cases, is this the only meal that a lot of people get? I can answer that. Yeah, it's both. Uh, it can be a supplement or oftentimes uh, it is the only meal that, that people, that people get. In fact, a dear friend of mine just made it, was working on some recipes and made it last night with her parents. Um, it was texting me about it yesterday or last night rather um the the meal itself we have tons of recipes surrounding this so you can make it into a casserole you can make it into a soup um i've spoken with some people that make it into granola bars or protein bars because they they find that that's the most accessible way to have their kids get this nutrition um and the meal itself is as i mentioned before super nutritionally efficient we work with the matil institute which is a nutritional institute in ohio 
to formulate this, uh, this M plus micro pack or packet of microvitamins and macrovitamins. Um, it has 23 micro and macronutrients in it. And it's essentially, or originally rather, it was formulated to address the issue of chronic undernutrition and malnutrition in, in children internationally. Um, so stunting, wasting, um, reduced fetal growth development, things like that. Uh, but we found that this product is also very appropriate uh, domestically. For, again, food insecurity is, is very real here and people are extremely undernourished. Yeah, that's that's excellent. And and I love the like I think I think people have the idea that to solve food insecurity, let's clean out our cabinets and let's get the the denty more that's been in there for 5 years and take that down to the food shelter. Um and this experience that I had was the first time when I was like, "Oh, they're solving this on a really meta level at a high level with a ton of, you know, this this one day event at, at our church was able to feed, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of people. Um, where did the idea for this come from? Because again, I think, you know, oh, well, let's just throw some canned foods and rice at the problem and it'll get solved. Who developed this and, and how did it come about? Yeah, I'd like to uh, speak to some of the food insecurity piece and then I'm going to let Allison respond to the, uh, the founder of the organization because he knows him much better than I do, and he's incredible. Um, but I, I will say, uh, in response to kind of your your idea of solving this on a more uh, macro level and, and looking at it in different ways, um, it's important to remember that hunger is a big word, right? It's kind of ethereal. What does it mean? Um, food insecurity is actually something that the USDA addresses, and it's, it's lack of access to food, to, to adequate food, right? So enough food. And I think historically that's where some people think, to your point, let's throw out the dinty more, as you said, or let's, you know, take this, some of our food that's going to expire soon and, you know, give it to a family that needs it or to a food pantry or partner that can distribute it. But not only is food insecurity lack to access uh, or act, lack of access to food, but it's also lack of access to nutritionally adequate food, right? So food that lacks nutrition. Um, you, a lot of food deserts, is, which is often a big issue right now, particularly here in central Indiana, um, you know, you have a lot of these stores that may have chips or processed foods, things high in sodium, but not whole foods. And so even though there may be the ability at a corner store or at a gas station to get food at a cheap price, it's not nutritionally adequate. And so that is also considered food insecurity. Allison? Tell us a little bit about the founding of the organization and the idea behind this. Sure. Um, so Packaway Hunger was originally a part of a national nonprofit called Kids Against Hunger. And in about, so about 10 years ago, Larry Moore was our former executive director. He founded a Kids Against Hunger satellite on the south side of Indianapolis. And so we were operating kind of within that umbrella of Kids Against Hunger for a number of years. And then what, what happened and what was really the impetus for moving away from Kids Against Hunger um, was that we saw that there was an opportunity to make this meal even more nutritious. And that is where what Abby talked about, our partnership with the Matil Institute for the Advancement of Human Nutrition, they really were on the ground. They're very, um, very concerned about how nutritious this meal is. And so we were able to partner with them and get the, the vitamin pack that goes into our meal. 
And so as a, as a way to get to that, we separated from Kids Against Hunger and started Pack Away Hunger. Um, the kind of the look of it is, is effectively the same as when we started, but the meal has gotten um, more nutritious. And then what we've really worked to do in the past, I would say, year or so is refine our mission. And I think what's really important to us is not just to provide this food and put this food out there um, and then kind of walk away from it. It's really important to us that we meet all three of the aspects of our mission. So as Abigail mentioned, nutritious food, education, and service. And so being at the packing events um, themselves with your business or your church or community group, that's really the hands-on service aspect of this. Um, it's invaluable to be and serve in person and not just make donations. Um, though we are always grateful for donations, but service is a, is a really key component of our mission. And then um, I'm going to let Abigail talk about the education component of that as well. I mean, we talked about the nutritious food, but I think education is something that we're really pushing hard for right now and to integrate that into our, into our model. So Abigail, I'll let you chat about that. Great. Thanks. Yeah, it was exciting to work with the board and our, our staff and our, our supporters to restructure our mission in the last year. And something that I think is really important when you're looking at any kind of change in anywhere in the world is the educational piece, right? Like, where are we starting? Where are we breaking this cycle? Um, how are we going to ensure that people are not hungry our, you know, our grandchildren aren't hungry or that we don't have these food deserts and, you know, for generations to come. And it always ends up, you know, you kind of have to start at the beginning. I mean, it's, it's important to teach people why hunger is, is a huge issue, why it exists, you know, systemically in, in the world. Um, and so something that we're just starting to develop and it's in its infancy is an educational program where we can go into summer camps, we can go into schools, and we can do a bit of education around hunger, what it looks like in other parts of the world, what it looks like in your own community. Just because you go home and have food doesn't mean your classmate can you know, go home and have food. Um, so not just not focusing just on that, but also building empathy, creating empathy in children and making them understand um, gratitude and how absolutely incredible it is to be able to pick up a fresh piece of food in your own home and share it with your family um, and then not everybody has that ability or that luxury. Um, and then how that matters and how their brain develops and how they grow and, and all the things. So we're really focusing on an educational program um, that we can bring again to schools and summer camps. Um, and then we'll obviously, of course, tie in the foundation and the core of what we do is then by doing a service activity with these students, with these campers, um, where they can come together after they've learned all of this and, and create meals to, to feed community or um, uh, children in other countries that may need it. So let me ask, I mean, you've got a, a captive audience here, or I guess it's sort of captive. Um, when you're putting this together and you have statistics and you have highlights, give us some of the bullet points of that educational piece. What, what do you, when you go out to schools, you go out to camps, what do you say to people? Educate our audience along with them right now, if you would, Abigail. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I guess we could talk about, there are a couple resources that everybody in, in the hunger world kind of turned to. Um, one is, of course, the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization. Um, and they alone say that just 815 million people 
um, in the world or 10.7% are suffering from chronic un, uh, um, undernourishment, right? And what's really interesting about that is if 10, or just over 10% of this world is hungry, um, they've done studies where they, all the food on this planet exists. There's enough food to feed everybody, for everybody to get their caloric intake daily um, all over the world, no matter where you are. There's enough food. So it's our systems that are that are pretty broken right now, right? So it's really important to be to remember that there are solutions that we can fix this problem. There is the food available. We just need to make sure that we are distributing it in a way that is um, ethical and impactful, right? Um, here in Indiana, 13.3% um, of Hoosiers are are hungry, right? So again, kind of unacceptable. I mean, that one in six children are, are going to school hungry. Um, and I'm sure that number is increasing right now because of COVID. Again, many students receive their lunches and their, their breakfasts even and their snacks sometimes um, at, at their schools, right? And they're not receiving that right now. So um, the, the the data is kind of scary as to how much of a problem this is, but what's hope, what gives me hope, and I think what gives everybody hope in what we do, um, is that it's it's a solvable problem. Uh, we just need to make sure that we're all coming together to solve it, and then we have systems that work. Allison, what are some other points? And you're listening to Now Hear This with Chris Spangle. We're talking to Pack Away Hunger, which is a great organization that puts together uh, an event that that creates this nutritious meal that gets shipped, shipped both here and around the world. Uh, and we're talking about their educational piece that they're working on. We're talking to Abigail Harlan, the executive director of the organization, and Allison Avon, who is the communications director. So in that educational piece, was there anything that she missed? What, what else do people need to understand about the, the cause of hunger and fighting hunger uh, overall? And then maybe give us some insight as to what's happening right now. Certainly. Well, Abigail definitely covered that very well. Um, so I don't necessarily have anything to add about what we're trying to do in the hunger realm. But just uh, by way of example, we've been working with Perry Township Schools and um, they reached out to us through another partner of ours, ProAct Indy. And they are, like many school districts, distributing food out to those families who are in need right now. And they had been at a point where they just completely ran out of food. And so um, we were able to come in and we were able to help distribute meals. Um, Abigail can probably talk about the numbers of those specifically a little bit more, but I think it's just really important for people to understand that this is, it's a wide reaching problem. And I think that even in communities and counties where you would think, Oh, hunger is not a problem. Food uh, food security is not a problem. It's really widespread and certainly does impact a number of communities more so than others. In some Indiana communities, food insecurity is as high as 19%. Mm. So that's very high, um, but it is, it's a statewide, it's a statewide challenge for sure. How, how many meals would you estimate you've given out since the beginning of the pandemic? Let's say early March. Since early March, and I can tell you exactly, we have distributed uh, 193,392 meals. Wow. Okay. A, a plus for knowing that exactly. But also, you know, is that 193,000 people or is that, um, you know, do people take several meals or what kind of those 193,000 meals, how much does that break down? In terms yeah, of that's, a good, that's a great question. Um, and no, it's not, a, it's difficult to kind of measure individual units, right? Because 
what, for one, we're not the, the distributor. We distribute through, you know, our trusted partners in the food pantries. So sometimes it's difficult for us to gauge how many individual family units or how many individual units are consuming our, our meal. Um, what I will tell you, since you're familiar with it, um, one of our package, one of our packages of, of the product is six meals. And so typically a family would get one or two packages. So, um, you know, 12 meals, you would say probably go to each household. So, I mean, I'm not sure, 193, 193,000 divided by 12, um, we're probably affecting that many households. Uh, I'm, I'm in radio. I dropped out of math for a reason. I, so how, how many meals do you get out of one of these bags? Because they seem like, uh, I don't know, maybe the size of a Lay's bag, like your classic, if I were to relate it to, to, to like maybe a pretzel bag, you know, if you're buying at the grocery. Um, how many meals do you get out of that? Yeah, six. There's six meals in that, six servings. Okay. And um, again, if you, that's, Based on again just the nutritional the nutrition panel, but also we the meal kind of expands if you add a protein. A lot of people add chicken or um, you know a condensed soup, lots of fresh vegetables, and then it then it obviously can be more. All right, so here's the million dollar question because you you know I went to this event, it was fun. We had hundreds of people in the in the gym. You had several dozen tables. Uh, laid out. You had boxes of things being brought in. It was a two-shift operation. We packed hundreds of the, the hundreds of meals that that week, and thousands of meals. Um, you know, and it was a great time. Everybody was having a party. The music was up. Everybody was dancing. Families were together. It was it was just a great event. Now you add a pandemic into it and uh, a viral spread of two point eight are not value. How do you hold an event like that? How do you? create these meals at a time when they're most desperately needed when you've got coronavirus uh, spreading around. If I wanted to hold one of these events, could I? How are, how are you operating with that, Abigail? Yeah, we are not holding those events right now. We are making sure that our um, staff and our community and our volunteers stay safe first and foremost. First and foremost. Um, we're certainly listening to the governor and the CDC and any of the experts. Um, we are talking about reentry and how we're going to start packing on a larger scale or also even small group packs as well. Sometimes we just have individual families or, or smaller corporate groups of 12 people that want to come in and, and pack. And we're, we're right now evaluating how we're going to do that. I have some spectacular board members that are really insightful. Um, we're also um, consulting with a, a doctor that's able to give us some insight. Um, so we're definitely, well, we certainly want to be packing meals as soon as possible. We're walking very cautiously and we're not going to, to, to rush anything. So you had individual boxes of the ingredients and then they all get combined into a package is there a way for you to send those individual ingredients to, let's say, if I wanted to do it here in my spare time in my kitchen? Has that been thought about? Is that even feasible? Yeah, we actually have thought about that. We've done a couple of test runs with staff. Um, and it just sometimes it comes down to, to risk and liability. And if we have these open ingredients in other people's homes and we don't know what people's lifestyles are. So we, it was something we certainly explored and we would love to be able to do like a porch drop with some raw materials, have the people pack and then us pick it up on the porch. Um, but we're just, we're not there there yet. Maybe someday. 
Okay. Very good. Yeah. And so I hope you can get to, and if you get to a point where you're willing to do small groups, then uh, let me know. And I will definitely promote that and uh, put one together myself. Um, Because I think it's, it's, it's incredibly needed. If you've, if you, and we're recording this in mid May and two months have given out 193,000 meals locally. So do you just have like a warehouse full of meals that have been packed? Do you have a store of things that you've been giving out? Yeah, we're really lucky. We had some great packs in the end of 2019 in December and early January that we tip. It's very atypical that we would have that many meals in the, uh, in the warehouse. Um, But also because of, because of the pandemic, because of COVID, international shipping was at a standstill. So we actually had an entire container that was trying, in fact, a container and a half, I believe, that was trying to get to Guatemala, um, that with our, our partners and our leadership in Guatemala, we had to redirect and we decided to to meet the local need here in, in central Indiana. Um, and also Guatemala is um, just having to kind of redirect as, as far as where they get their raw materials and how they cook in their clinics and, and um, on their campuses. So is this a national organization or just here locally? So if we have people listening in Colorado, is there a Packaway Hunger there or a similar organization? Packaway Hunger is just local here to Indianapolis. We are part of a larger association, an umbrella organization, if you will, called the Alliance for Better Nutrition. Um, And they're a resource and somewhat of a buying cooperative that that support us. Um, But Packaway Hunger is is a standalone organization. Okay, so... Again, we're talking to Packaway Hunger of Indianapolis, packawayhunger.org, and you're listening to Now Hear This with Chris Spangle. I'm talking to Abigail Harlan, the executive director of the organization, as well as Allison Avon, the communications director. We will uh, wrap up with the question that I ask everybody at the end of this. Uh, you, you work in the weeds. You're doing this all the time. You know, I'm sitting in front of a computer, staring at Facebook all day, and I don't necessarily have the same view of this issue that you do. As you're going through your work every single day, what is the thing that you see that you just went, wow, I wish everybody understood this. I wish everybody could appreciate and understand this. Let's start with Allison. Well, I think... um one, just how very real the need is and how very much it affects individual families. When we talk about statistics, um, sometimes those those families can get lost in the numbers. But when you have the opportunity to interact with a family um, who doesn't have the resources to put food on their table, I think that personally is what has impacted me the most to see people really in a difficult point in their life and to know that we're able to help them and that we are also able to empower other people in our communities to get involved, be part of that solution. To me, that's the most important thing is know that the need is real. It impacts real families, could be your neighbors. You may not know, Um, because it's not always obvious, but just that we're grateful that we are able to do the work that we can, and we're grateful for our packing partners, our volunteers, and our donors who have come alongside us. Abigail? Yeah, I would love to also reiterate reiterate what Allison said as far as the need is real, and I think a lot of people don't don't know and it's very eye-opening when when you do see how um how many people that you'd never imagine 
are food insecure and, and need food or, or stretch food two or three days because they have to. Um, but what I would focus on as well um, is whenever, you know, when you're, again, you mentioned it, you're in the day-to-day, you're kind of in the weeds or you're in heavy in operations. And I'll be very honest, for us, even though we work in a mission-driven or, you know, culture, right, and what we do is, is for others, um, it's sometimes we also become a little cranky. We're always like, sometimes we don't always love our job, you know, and we want to get out of the weeds or we just want it to be the weekend. And then we remember, oh, we have a big packet event on a weekend. And so you're just kind of, oh, when are we going to rest? And what's been really powerful for me um, in this role is seeing how committed our volunteers and supporters are to this, that people are, as soon as the packet's done, our partners our volunteers or the kids that are in the pack, like, when can we do this again? When's the next public pack? How can we come back and help? And I mean, I'm, just, I'm really proud of our community of support because one, I think they do have an understanding of, of what the need is. Need is. Um, but also really proud of the Packaway Hunger staff because we create a really fun, inclusive event that creates change. And I think it's a huge testament to, to all of the staff at and uh, I would like to make a pitch for just cash donations. All the charities that we talk to, all the, the nonprofits that we talk to, uh, when we speak to these full-time staffers on this show, they need salaries too. And those volunteers that, that do a great job, the materials that they buy, that all comes from cash donations. So you, uh, I assume you take cash donations, and how can people do that if they'd like? Yes, absolutely. We're always so grateful for donations of any amount. Um, everyone can donate at packawayhunger.org, and there are links on there where people can donate. I'd also encourage people just to follow us on Facebook because one thing that's important to me in terms of making a donation is that you as a donor know what good we're doing with your donations. And so you'll see on Facebook our deliveries and all the um, exciting things that we're doing to help serve our community. All right. Great. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for listening to Now Hear This. I'm your host, Chris Spangle. If you missed any portion of our program, you can listen on our website, nowhearthisindy.com. If you'd like to have your organization featured on the show, please contact Gabby at 317-475-7407 or via the contact page on our website. Thanks for listening, and we will be back again next weekend with Now Hear This. Now, libertarian podcasts are usually focused on the philosophy of libertarianism. Our podcast, Upward, Libertarian Activism, provides tips and strategies to help move more people towards the top of the diamond of the world's smallest political quiz. If you haven't taken that, go to theadvocates.org and check it out. We Are Libertarians presents training sessions and special podcasts to teach the basics of running for office, county party organization, and other forms of libertarian activism. Now, early episodes include training workshops put together by me, Chris Bangle, and the Libertarian Party of Indiana. And newer episodes are from the archives of Marshall Fritz of the Advocates for Self-Government, who was a master trainer for libertarians. So get our training manuals and the podcast at our website, upwardpoliticaltraining.com.